How powerful. I've seen it like four times. And it just grips me. Uh, this is what the generous year-end campaign, this is what it's about for us. It's about bringing hope to our neighbors here. And it's about helping the church at large, the church in Ukraine, bring hope to their neighbors uh, there as well in Hostomel, Ukraine. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for this Advent season. Uh, Christmas time is, is this, this special time of year. What, what other time do we devote an entire calendar month to one of our holidays? There's not another time that we devote an, an entire, I mean, you know, Halloween tries to get in on it, but it just can't quite squeeze out Christmas time. And it feels like this entire calendar month combined with, uh, with, with the fact that we even measure our calendar and our years on Jesus's life, combined with Jesus's teaching that just shapes this global ethic of how we treat one another, combined with a dozen, a dozen other ways that Jesus' name and his life and his leadership is so well known and embraced throughout the world. All of those things, this entire month and all of those things and, and more, point in their own way to this specialness of Christmas time. Here's the reality. We cannot unhitch Christmas from Jesus Christ. We cannot unhitch this month, this season from Jesus. In the last century, or rather, in the, yeah, in the last century, Christmas has become far more secular. And even in that, yet the centrality of Jesus has not been undone by Santa or his elves or his reindeer. We love Santa. We love elves. We love, like, we, we love the, 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 the celebration of Christmas, and yet... Jesus is central. Jesus is the, the cause for it. You know, there's the saying, he's the reason for the, there it is, right? I'm grateful for that. And this is a holiday season where our schedules tend to bulge, if not burst. You know some of this. I'm already having conversations. Well, maybe we push that meeting out until after the holidays. Maybe we push it out until after the holidays. And there's so much that is just competing for our attention, and competing for our affections. And yet, here we are, met by Jesus, in all of our activity, and all of our hurry, and all of our hurt, and all of our concerns, all of our forgetting what the season is about. And get this, he does not shame us, he does not put us off. He does not put us aside. He tells the truth about our condition, and he invites us in. He invites us home to himself. He opens his very heart to us, and he invites us to continue to live in light of his aliveness because he's not like other teachers. He's not like other religious leaders. Jesus of Nazareth is alive, and he is present, and he is among his people by his spirit. And so as we remember the fact that he is alive, we remember his coming. That's what Advent is. We're remembering the fact that God came to humanity and took on flesh in order to dwell among us, in order to live among us. We remember that, but we don't just remember that. We also look forward. We, 
You're, we, we, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm focusing on the way that you read. You read left to right. He came, and uh, we look forward to his return as well, where he comes and he promises his people that he will come for us. And so we try and as best we can to embrace this tension where we live between these two realities, these two major world events, his first advent and his second advent, his second appearing and coming. Last week, we were in John's Gospel, chapter 1, and that's where we're going to be this week as well. We're going to stay put in John's Gospel this week. We're going to take it a little further. We're going to dig a little bit deeper. And last week, the big idea where we focused was on this, how this arrival of Jesus draws us to come back home to our Creator, who is the light and the life and the hope of the world. And so we realized that Through his word in this Christmas season, the actual light, the actual life of mankind has come to make his home with us. He's come to make his home with us and therefore to to brighten our hope, to, to give us hope. And we reflected last week some on, and even again this morning, some on this day, last Saturday, this giving trees event where we gave trees to our neighbors and how our driving motive in all of that, and even in our tiredness, was that the light and the life of Jesus would shine. That was our hope, that he, his, his, his light and his life would shine in their homes, literally, that these trees would preach and they would brighten homes and they would ultimately brighten the hope of other people. Jesus' people on Jesus' mission, according to Jesus himself, are like a shining city on a hill. Jesus' people on Jesus' mission are like a lighthouse in storm-tossed seas. And this is what the church exists for. His church exists to proclaim his name, to proclaim his glory, and to invite others in, shining his light as far and as wide and as brightly, and hope as far and as wide and as brightly as we possibly can. And so this is what Sergei and the Father's House Church in Hostomel are actually doing, and their story of bringing light and bringing life through the giving of actual homes is actually reaching us in Post Falls, Idaho, of all places this morning. And I don't know if you were stirred like me, but what it does is it encourages me in the mission that Jesus has put me on, and it invites, I feel invited and compelled as well to join them to join what they're doing. The Apostle Paul, uh, he wrote in in one of his letters to the Corinthian church that he was talking about giving and he was talking about generosity. And he was saying that the Macedonians, they're a group of churches, the Macedonian people, they they didn't have a lot. Their their resources were pretty meager, but they were writing to Paul. They were sending um, emissaries to Paul essentially to, to beg he and the apostles for the privilege of giving out of their means to other churches who were in need and who needed assistance. And we're seeing that people in Hostomel, Ukraine, are not only receiving homes and receiving hope from the body of Christ around the world, but we're also seeing that through these acts of generosity and through these acts of mercy and through these acts of grace that Jesus is moving into their neighborhood, there in Hostomel, pitching his tent among them, gathering his people in Hostomel, who are now a shining city on that hill there, filled with his light and his life. Here's the big idea for this week. This week, 
Jesus generously makes his home with us. We're going to see this particularly in John 1.14. He makes his home with us, which enables us to do a few things, certainly more than we're going to talk about this morning, but he, he, him making his home with us enables us to, one, believe and to receive him in the first place, and two, to find ways to help others find their own way home to him. Here's the promise that Jesus gives to his people and that we have seen in real history over the centuries that when people receive the Lord Jesus, he renews them and he equips them and then he sends his people, all who believe him, to make room for others and to invite others to come home to him. And so the reality is, is that Jesus' generous way compels a new generous way in us. And Jesus' radical and sacrificial way of serving, it inspires a whole new way of serving in us. And Jesus' love for the estranged and for the strugglers fuels our new way of loving because through him, Romans 5 says, that he has poured his love into our hearts. And we have to We have to find a way to give that away. We have to find a way to give his love away. That love that he pours into our hearts, it needs somewhere to go. I I loved getting to see all of this in motion this last weekend on Saturday during this Giving Trees event. There's um, some of the most shy and introverted among us were joyfully welcoming people in and then boldly asking if you could serve them through prayer. And you did that gently, but so many times I just see huddles of people praying with one another where you've got a hand on their shoulder and you're interceding for them. So, Lord Jesus, would you answer these prayers that have been prayed? Would you remind us of the prayers that we have prayed and of the people that we have recently met. I was just talking with Meredith this morning. She had an interaction and she found out where, where she can find a person to follow up with them this week. And she's like, I want to go follow up with this person. I want to pursue them. I want to see what the Lord is doing in their life. I want to see what he might be up to. So Lord Jesus, would you consider, uh, would you con- continue your transforming work in us as well? I want us to, this morning, go back to John chapter 1, and I want us to pick up in verse 9. There are black Bibles around the room. Please grab one. I'm going to be just staying in the text this morning. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. Use the table of contents. You're at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The big letters are the chapters, the little, or the big numbers are the chapters, the little numbers are the verses. Go to verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, and that's where we're going to pick up this morning. Kind of mid-sentence, this is the prologue John is setting up in his gospel where he's going. And this is what Jesus' friend, who he loves, the Apostle John, the Evangelist John, writes about Jesus. He says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, Jesus, the Creator, the Word, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own things or his own people, his own creation, and his own people did not receive him. But, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born 
not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but who were born of God. And the word became flesh, and the word dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word. Verse 9 is all grace. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Grace is this favor of God that he gives freely to those who do not deserve him and to those who have not earned any of his benefits, to those who cannot lay claim to any of his benefits. Why? Because the scriptures teach that all have gone astray and all have turned aside from him. First-time parents, you know what this is like. Parents in the room, you know what this is like. When your firstborn child, I was thinking about this, my firstborn was a year and a half years old. He was, I was holding him. He was not liking what I was doing. I'm holding him. He's pushing away from me, creating some distance. He lets go, closes the gap, and then, poof, open hand slaps me across my face. Parents, when you realize that your precious, beloved little angel is not such a little angel anymore, it's shocking, is it not? Raise your hand if you've been slapped in the face by your kid. Look around. If you don't have kids yet and you want to, this is what's coming for you. That's each of us. Over and over again, like kids throwing temper tantrums, we have willingly disrespected God. We have cursed him. We have slapped him square in his perfectly holy face. And that's the mirror that the Bible holds up to us. The scriptures tell us the truth about ourselves. They tell us the truth about our condition. Look at verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, this light, this true light. He was in the world and the world was made through him. So he's creator, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own or his own people and his own people, the Jewish people, did not receive him. John tells us that, that, that Jesus' own people, the Israelites, they're looking for the Messiah, but in truth, they weren't really interested in Messiah. They were just interested in his stuff. They were interested in his things. In some ways, they're gold diggers. They're just about the house, and they're about the dinners, and they're about the cars, and they're about the stuff. We see this throughout the Gospels, the whole record of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like people... People did clamor to get to him, but when he had hard teachings for them, oftentimes they dispersed. Oftentimes they they scattered. But I love the posture of John in John chapter 1. He doesn't spend a great deal of time actually hammering away at the, the ways that people have failed God. Instead, John wants his focus, the focus of this gospel, to be the light and the life that is contained in God's love for the losers. So John shifts his view from losers to the Lord and how the Lord comes to bad people in order to give us a righteousness that's foreign righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness. God comes to give us a righteousness that we cannot attain to. On our best day, in our holiest moments, that before our holy God, the 
distance between that performance and our holy God, the scriptures describe as filthy rags. We cannot get there. And so what does God do? He doesn't put us out. He doesn't put us off. He descends to us. The second member of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, the creating Word, according to John chapter 1, comes to us, takes on flesh, lives among us, and beats this life, beats our enemy, death and Satan. He comes to live and to, and to live in a way that we were created originally to, but now we have no capacity for because of our sin nature. He gives us this foreign righteousness. Look at verse 12. So verse 11, he comes to his own and his own people do not receive him. But there's this word, but. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, to believe in Jesus' name is to believe all that comes with him, to uh, everything that is his, all of his resources, all of his power, not just his person, but everything attached to him. That's what it means to believe in the name of Jesus, anything related to him. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave something. He gave the right to become children of God. This word but at the beginning of verse 12, it clues us in that John is drawing for us, drawing for his readers a significant contrast and that what follows is what John wants to be the focus of his gospel. He's saying, but there's good news coming. Last week, I described John's gospel as bright. If we were measuring it in lumens, it might be daylight, 5,000K. If we're measuring it in color, it might be uh, bright yellow. John is a very positive guy. He tells us the truth about ourselves. He's raw and he's real. He doesn't hold back, but he is insanely positive. He is, he's a John... He's a good news guy. I just you, you, can, you can hear that as you're reading this gospel. And he writes, I think, from a place of security. His favorite nickname for himself is the one who Jesus loves. That's how he refers to himself. I'm Jesus' friend, number one, and Jesus loves me. This I know. I'm going to write the Bible that will tell you. So, he's secure. John is a secure guy. He's a secure disciple living in the love of Jesus. So he is now writing to the church that they would take hold of this too. And he says, to all who receive and to all who believe Jesus, you too, they too get an, a new identity right there on the spot. A new identity right on the spot. And it's the kind of identity that has no expiration date. There's not an expiration date on this identity. We have and we live from a lot of different identities that do have expiration dates. I'm a husband. I'm a, a father. I am a son of my parents. I am a pastor. But we know that so many of the identities that we love from, they're fragile. They're vulnerable. The identity of spouse. There are some of you in the room that you know that that identity can shift. And it can be incredibly heartbreaking as you figure out this new normal. The identity even of like a son or a daughter or parents of sons or daughters, while that identity is more secure perhaps than that of a spouse, that identity too can shift because what happens when you become estranged from family members? What happens when you no longer 
live in close relationship with family members. Because we all know that, that sometimes we have biological parents who we do not consider our father or our mother. And so it's, if we begin to live, if we continue to live from those identities, as the relationship has stretched and elongated, we know actually that we don't often continue to live from those identities, but we look to find new ones. Because we're looking for security. I'm a pastor, but that can be taken. That can be given up. It will be given up at some point. You might be a business owner. You might be a manager. You might be a student. You might be an athlete. Those identities, very vulnerable too. There's going to come a time when those identities are not as secure for you as they once were. But what John is getting at here in verse 12 is that there is an identity available to all that cannot be shaken and it cannot be taken. There's an identity available to all that can't be lost. Once you receive it, it's irrevocable. He seals you with his spirit, guaranteeing your and I's inheritance until the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 1. This identity, it's not obtained by human action. It's not obtained by human merit. It's not obtained by anything we say or do, but it's actually given by God's own hands. It cannot be shaken or taken once it is received. And so John writes, to all who receive Jesus. So empty hands is the posture in view. To all who receive Jesus with empty hands, all that we need is need. All that we need to bring is nothing. God gives you and I, when we come to him like that, a special right. He gives us a special right. And a, and a right, once we've received it, is something that you and I can lay claim to and we can, uh, we can appeal to at any moment when we need to take hold of that right. And this right, in particular, you and I do not qualify for it. We simply open our hands to receive it. And the right that John is talking about is the right to become children of God, to be taken in by God as his children. So no longer orphans who are on our own, who it's up to us to survive, to figure it out, to, to, to try to earn a righteousness, which works-based religions and faith systems bring forward. We become child, never to be an orphan again. Let that sink in for a moment. Once you have received Christ, he has sealed you, and you will never be an orphan again. You can live like you're an orphan. You can insist that you're an orphan. But his security for us is that we are not orphans. We have a father. We have a family, his church. So this reality is that he, when we receive him, when we take him at his word, when we believe him, we, he, he relates to us as father and we relate to him as son or a daughter, ideally. And what is happening is that God brings us home to himself, not based on our qualifications and not based on our merits, but it's based on something else. The Hebrew word is hesed. It's based on his steadfast love. Our standing and identity as his children is according to his free offer. 
in his total ability and all we bring is empty hands. If you say so, I believe you. Help me to believe you. And this is all according to the word of God, which if you're hearing this and receiving this, you recognize that the the will of God is not stingy. The will of God is not imperfect. The will of God is not unfair. Look at verse 13. I'll start in 12 and then go down to 13. But to all who did receive him, this word of life, this light of mankind, who believed in his name, who believed in his power, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but who were born of God. Verse 13, this offer from God himself isn't based on an identity that comes through our bloodline. It's not based on an identity that comes through our race. It's not based on an identity that comes through our parents. It's not even based on our will for ourselves. It's based entirely on the will of God. What's the response to that? What is the the proper response to that? I'm asking you the question. Worship? Say it again. Praise? What else? What's the response? That's true. Humility? Acceptance, gratefulness? Joy, repentance, rejoicing? You might be asking, well, how am I supposed to know if this is God's will for me then? Does this actually apply to me? Am I included in this offer? Here's how you can know. Do you receive Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Do you believe that he is a real man in history who is more than man? Who is the Son of the eternal God who had a creating hand in creation? who came to live among us as the spotless lamb, who would ultimately be offered up as an appeasing or propitiatory sacrifice for our sin? Who essentially would blunt the wrath of God against us and take it upon himself? And then who would go into the grave deserving a criminal's death, cut off from our Father, which is what we deserve, but who would not stay there, who according to the scriptures after three days would rise from the grave victorious and who now sits at the right hand of the Father and who grants his righteousness, the righteousness that he has earned to anyone who says, Lord Jesus, accept me. Lord Jesus, receive me. Lord Jesus, that for me. Anyone, anyone who receives that becomes a child of God. Charles Spurgeon, an old preacher in the 1800s in London, he said, to believe is to accept as true that which God declares through his word and through history. To receive, Spurgeon says, is to accept Jesus himself. So 
How can you know? How can I know that we are a child of God? Or how can you know that you can become if you aren't a child of God? If you know that you are estranged from him and that you have not come to him, how can you know that you can become a child of God right now? Here's the question. Do you believe and accept as true that which the Bible declares about Jesus? Do you accept Jesus himself? Accepting and believing Jesus requires us to get low. That's the way of the kingdom. To get low is the way up in the kingdom. And it's not just one time, but it's a a reoccurring act in our lives where we step down off of the podium of our lives, continuing day by day by day to trust Jesus and to let him lead us as he wants to lead us, to learn to confess our sin to him, knowing that forgiveness is right there and accessible, that the restoration of, right, of relationship is right there and accessible. It means that we learn to take the word of God into our minds and work it down into our hearts and let it work itself out through our lives, following God's directive with directives with our very lives. The Bible teaches that The word who was in the beginning, who was with God and who is God, has taken on flesh and has lived as a true human among us. The eternal creating word has descended or condescended and taken on flesh. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we, John writes, he was living right there with Jesus. He knew him in the flesh. We have seen his glory. It's a unique kind of glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father that is full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson, in his, trans, his, uh, his paraphrase, the message, says that Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's what he's done among, that's what God has done among us. And John writes that he has known and he has seen the glory of God who has become man. He he, he knew Jesus uniquely. He knew the, the tone of his skin. He knew the calluses on his hands. He knew the sound of his voice. He knew the look in his eyes when he was filled with compassion or when he was incensed at the hard-heartedness of people. He knew the way his hair looked in the morning when he woke up next to the campfire as they're on tour. Like he knows Jesus intimately and he says, I have seen his glory. We have seen his glory as of the only son who has come from the father. And there are a couple of things that are real particular about him. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. He's full of these two things. Augustine, one of the early church fathers in the fourth century, uh, he, he said this, he said, the word Jesus, he was made flesh in order that we might be able to receive him. He was made flesh in order that we might be able to receive him. The only son of God was made the son of man so that the children of men might become children of God. R.C. Sproul, he went to be with the Lord in 2017. He said this, In becoming human, the word of God did not cease to be God. The eternal son of God took upon himself a human nature. This is the mystery of the incarnation which lies at the heart of the Christian faith. Do you receive this truth this Christmas? This is what Christmas is. This is what Christmas is about. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Jesus being full of grace means that he embodies 
the compassion and the faithful love of God. This word has said, Jesus being full of grace, it means that in him, the compassionate, gracious heart of God for the undeserving is fully represented without flaw. That's what that means. If you wonder what God is like, actually like, look no further than Jesus of Nazareth. He's the only son from the Father. Jesus being full of truth, so he's full of grace, the compassionate love of God, heart of God, he's also full of truth. What does it mean that he's full of truth? It means that he embodies the character of God. For Jesus to be full of truth means he embodies the character of God. What Jesus says, what Jesus has done, the way that Jesus has lived is truly true. It's the truest version. It's the truest representation. It's the truest likeness of what humanity is supposed to be. How we were created, our first parents in the garden. Everything about Jesus is true. John, he writes numerous letters. He also wrote the last book of your Bible, the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 19.11, John says that Jesus is the capital F faithful and capital T true one. He's ultimately faithful. He's ultimately true. He writes in John chapter 14 that Jesus is the capital W way, the capital T truth, and the capital L life. That no one comes to the Father except by Jesus. John writes in chapter 8 that if you want to know the truth and you want to be set free, that to come to Jesus is to know the truth. He is the truth that sets people free. Jesus is perfectly aligned with God's truth. So here's what John is saying when he says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's emphasizing the completeness and the perfection of Jesus's divine attributes. He is no mere man. He is the God who is man. And so those who receive Jesus and who take him at his word find unearned favor and find absolute truth in our relationship with him because Jesus is God in the flesh. And God in the flesh has made his home with us in order that we would find our home in him, in order that we would be reconciled to our creator and that we could live in daily reconciliation, daily push and pull relationship, daily praying, daily depending, daily looking to him for help in our time of need. And he has come to us and made his home with us in order that we would make our home with him, not only for just that, that we would depend on him, but also so that as his ambassadors and as his people, we would go out into the streets and we would go out into the marketplaces and we would go over the oceans to help others find their way back home to him. This is what Christmas has ushered in for us. Jesus' new community. His church. And this is some of our opportunity with Sergei and with the Father's house in Hostomel. Is with our hands, with our resources, whether it's 25 cents, I'm serious, whether it's 25 cents, whether it's $2.50, I'm serious, whether it's 
$250 or $2,500 or $25,000. We have opportunity with what God has given us to give it away, to send it to Hostamel, to help them finish this facility that the church can gather in. That's not just a building for the church, but it's also a warming center because all of those, it's 240-some tiny homes, container homes now, none of them have heat in them. And Ukraine winters are like North Idaho winters. You know outside, it's uncomfortable right now. And so these floors, they've actually sent us some video of it, and I'll be sending it out this week. Um, We are connected to this church in Hostomel through Aaron Gibbs. We only have one mutual relationship as a church. But we support Aaron Gibbs, who is supporting the work of church planting out of Slovakia. And Aaron Gibbs is a part of Soma Spokane, who is our planting church. And the one who filmed that video that we saw earlier is a guy named John, who is an elder in training at Soma Spokane. And he and Aaron Gibbs traveled together to capture this story. And this story is coming home to us, and we have opportunity to get our resources and to get our hands in on this work and to be partners in it. Like the Macedonian churches who begged earnestly for the gift of being able to partner and helping relieve the needs of the saints. This generous year-end campaign is not about us building bigger and better for us. It is about this community positioning ourselves to continue to live into one of our core values, that we are joyful and we are a generous people. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you make us that? Would you help us to know you and to know the power of your resurrection? Would you help us to be people who give? Would you, be, would you equip us to grow into humility and to grow into rejoicing and to grow into serving and sacrifice? Would you equip us? Would you move us? Even if we don't meet those goals, Lord Jesus, I just lay those number goals before you. They're targets. That's all they are. Would you compel us to grow in our generosity and to follow you, becoming more and more mature as your people? We love you. We give ourselves to you. Last, Lord Jesus, would you remind us that this Christmas season is about you? Would you help us to simplify and to put off the frenetic, frantic grasping for control in order to open our hands and ask us and ask you truly, what do you want us to do with this season and how do you want us to serve? in this season. And would you answer our prayers by empowering your people? Would you bring yourself glory? In Jesus' name, amen.